Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Mist Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Reddy. Welcome to the Mexican Race Review, where the F1 2013 season is drawing to a close in dominant style with Sebastian Vettel pulling and holding gaps at will, driver and car in breathless and perfect harmony. Oh my goodness, was that actually nine years ago? It is actually, of course, 2022, and it's Max Verstappen this time with Red Bull, holding the F1 world in his gloved hands. But we also saw something of a glimmer of hope for Mercedes, did we not, as they work towards their 2023 car. So in this race review, we'll discuss, is there anything Mercedes could have done to win this Mexican Grand Prix? What kind of information can we glean from these less than dynamic races? And has indeed Max Max Verstappen put in the most dominant season in F1 history? All that coming up now. But I do like to remind you that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. And joining me in being wrong is the wrongest. It's Matt Durumpet. Say, hey, Matt. Soft tires, bad gear shifts, and Ricciardo. Oh, my. Yes, yeah, actually a reasonable amount to cover, even though it wasn't an action-packed Mexican Grand Prix. It's like the olden days, Matt, isn't it, where we go, actually, this... It's not that we don't have anything to talk about. It's just that we'll leave less out. There were almost 37 passes this time. Oh, wow. You're counting them with a little (laughs) clicker. All right. Um, I'm delighted that we're joined from the other side of the world at a more sociable time for him as we are streaming at nearly midnight UK time. Uh, We've got presenter Jonathan Simon from Australia land. Hey, Jono. How's it going, Spanners? How's it going, everybody? Uh, We might have thought it was a boring race, but doing the show notes, there is a lot to talk about. 
And uh, this is going to be an exciting podcast. Yeah, we're stuck in that middle land between end of season, the race itself, and also looking forward. Yeah, looking forward to next year, I hope, because this season, as you said, has been like the end of 2013. It's been a ball fest, unfortunately. Oh, what? You didn't find the end of 2013 with Sebastian Vettel winning every race by 25 <laughs> seconds to be an exhilarating roller coaster ride? No, 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 no. But let's not uh, like let's not hope it opens up a sort of era of dominance like it did for Mercedes the next year. We want to see some good competition. The cost cap's coming in. Let's see if it actually gets deployed next year. We'll see if that happens. I think I've done a pretty good job avoiding cost cap chat on this uh, podcast so far. Let's see if I can keep that up. All the way to Brentwood in Essex now, we have got iRacing streamer and a live watch-along streamer, Scott Tuffy. How's it going, Stuffy? Thanks for having me, Spanners. I feel vindicated that the last time I was on this (laughs) podcast, I chose Mexico as one of my two tracks I've removed from next year's calendar. (laughs) Fair enough. And I did feel for you a little bit because you do a live F1 watch along on your channel. Was that a challenge from a streaming point of view? It was, yes. As I was saying to you earlier, I'm a little bit worried about the waffle I may have gone on um, during that to try and make it interesting. Uh, Normally listen to my streams back and I'm a little bit worried. But (laughs) yes, it was the most challenging watch along uh, to date. We call it vamping. It's a presenter's challenge. But look, there was a lot for us to talk about in the Mexican Grand Prix. Okay, first and foremost, let's address the elephant in the room. It wasn't the most thrilling Grand Prix to sit and watch, especially I think if you were watching that in a pub, it would probably pass you by without too much uh, too much concern. It wouldn't bother the punters overly, uh, but it was one that if you had timing screens in front of you, you could be glued to the timing screens. And for nearly half the race, it looked like something fantastic might eventually happen. Of course, it didn't. But that is just the way of F1 occasionally. So I think the first thing probably to address is, well, why why didn't the Mexican Grand Prix pop? And I think whenever I look forward to these races as a, as a podcast presenter, I try to put this in perspective and manage expectations, especially for people who are a little bit newer to the sport. So going into the Mexican Grand Prix, we knew that this is a track that tends to deliver less than wham-bam action from uh, from pillar to post. So, Stuffy, you were a bit ahead of the game uh, by suggesting this is one to get rid of. Uh, why didn't the Mexican Grand Prix pop? Uh, because the tyres lasted forever. Right. Uh, they could have gone a medium tyre going, I reckon it could have gone on probably for the whole race, is never good for racing. Uh, this track in the past, unless there's been a safety car to bunch up the field, has never really provided us with a wow race i look back at the previous results and mexico grand prix apart from two races the leader has always stormed away by over 15 seconds and that's not really uh, an intriguing race Jono, i think it goes to show what a long way f1 has gone because 10 years ago even 2010 just before the pirelli era came in i would have loved a race like this today you know a nice tight battle for the lead this is what the strategy was like now we're sort of getting disappointed with the action which is kind of i kind of like where the sport's gone in that direction and pirelli you know we'll get to it later they did admit maybe they made a mistake with the tire compounds maybe they should have brought a step softer this weekend so that definitely made a difference as well i think the opposite as well is that what's so brilliant about mexico is the altitude 
and the fact that it can scramble the grid. Since when did Alfa Romeo have a quick car out of nowhere? That hasn't happened since like round five, you know? They really needed that extra point that Bottas scored today. Um, how about Ferrari being so slow? We didn't expect that. Uh, yeah, and and the thing is with this season, when you've got a team this dominant, Matt, you can sometimes miss when the grid is being scrambled behind. Like Alon- uh, Alonso, uh, Alpine and McLaren have sort of ping-ponged up and down. Yep. Uh, 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 Alpha Tauri, absolutely nowhere today. But it can get masked when, when there's a team so dominant out ahead. Yeah, it, it absolutely can. And, you know, it's very convenient to to blame Pirelli. And yes. the tires, but I, I, if I'm being honest, I mean, Ricardo figured it out. If he can figure <laughs> it out, surely the entire Formula One engineering team ought to be able to figure it out too. But I think you really hit the nail on the head when you mentioned the altitude, because it has a multitudinous number of poor, uh, bad effects name, on the cars. Name them. Uh, number one, cooling. The cars don't cool as well. Alpine, for example, were struggling with that issue yes, in and, the race. And that leads us to something we've not really seen for a while, which is cars following to struggle. So they want to be out of the cooling. So you saw cars, when they had the opportunity, they were actually looking to settle if they weren't pushing about two seconds behind. And that's not something we've seen for, for a few seasons now. Yeah, absolutely. You have another issue that your turbochargers don't work as well. So you have to, you have essentially kind of lower power or Mm. you have to be able to run your turbo at higher RPMs to make up for that. Ferrari, for one, were severely disadvantaged because they were running into trouble with their turbochargers. Uh, Jono then Stuffy. Yeah, and along with that too, I mean, we get brilliant straight line speeds here. We had, was it Bottas a few years ago? going at 370 or whatever he did to break the straight line speed record. That's a brilliant part about it too. I I think one thing with the altitude, and this is what we didn't expect, we all wanted to see a track where, where would this Mercedes fare well? And we always said, you know what, with the porpoising early in the season, maybe a low speed circuit, maybe a a circuit with no bumps. We're trying to guess, hey, maybe Singapore's the next shot. Nobody thought Mexico. I know it's a long way in the development of the car, but the fact that they've been struggling with straight line speed and Mexico with such thin air means you're going to travel a bit faster, means it sort of nullifies the effect of them lacking that straight line speed we saw this in previous years when mercedes had the straight line speed and were dominating the sport it was red bull who were struggling and somehow at mexico they were the car winning the race the roles are reversed mercedes didn't win the race today but they came awfully close i thought they had a tremendous race car today yeah john has just made my point really that the effects that we've seen on mercedes last week in cota hamilton was losing so much time down the main straights due to um the straight line speed of Mercedes, uh, sorry, of Max Verstappen. I think Max came from nearly a second behind oh, to did, overtake yeah. him down that back straight. And also as well, the DRS is not as powerful here due to uh, the thinner air. Um, so that's why really it's uh, we don't see as many overtakes as maybe we should with such a long back straight. Um, yeah, I think a couple of points have, have come out there are really interesting. I think so. Obviously, we can blame the altitude for a long time. Uh, we can blame... Pirelli, which I definitely want to come back and do a little bit. Uh, but uh, uh, the first note, point that Stuffy made about Valtteri Bottas doing well here, he actually, I found my notes from last year, he did really well last year as well. And he seems to do well also at Sochi. So I think there's a comparison here maybe with the surface 
between the Mexican Grand Prix and the Russian Grand Prix as well. And when, what we saw with the initial uh, Grand Prix in Russia, Matt, was that, you know, Nico Rosberg locked up into turn one, didn't he? And then completely flat spotted and did the rest of the race on his tyres, on, on the second set of tyres. So it, as soon as Bottas was doing well, my mind suddenly went, oh, that's because it's a really low grip surface. And even in the race today, you saw back ends coming out, you saw four wheel drifts, particularly from Gasly. So very much a low grip surface. Yeah, and not just a low grip surface. This brings me to one of my favorite theories that I have no evidence for at all. <laughs> but if you're an aerodynamics engineer, do feel free to send me a note. I'm, I begin to wonder watching the cars struggle, if one, the just where they are weighty, sort of in the back yeah. end, and two, if perhaps uh, the lower pressure air is worse for the diffuser than maybe it is for the rear wings and stuff like that. So that so that might be why Mercedes was less disadvantaged because because they've had to run their car higher, they're getting more downforce from above the car. But I don't know if that's true or not. But it, that all does essentially make it a slippier surface, which plays to, as we've seen in the past, Bottas' strength. Okay, so let's say, in theory... We, we go back in time and we warn Pirelli about this and they just go for a softer compound. So they go a step softer, maybe even two. And maybe this race does come to life and you start to see the things that we were looking out for in this race, looking at the timing screens. Stint one, we're looking for the, the soft tire runners to start to drop off. And we can see it as it gets to kind of lap 20. You see the soft tires start to drop off and you go, well, this is ex- exciting. This is interesting. Now we can see the strategy unfold. But because they lasted that little bit longer and because the the mediums could then go on till the end of the race, we were robbed of that in the second part. I think we you could almost magic all the problems away, Jono, if we'd have had higher wear. But I do wonder whether Pirelli, somehow, they still have this kind of ancestral PTSD from Silverstone when the tyres were just exploding everywhere and they just, they're scared of turning up at a track and ruining the whole event because tyres are exploding everywhere. But like we, I think we need to collectively go, we'll forgive you. If it goes wrong one time, we'll forgive you. But can we have two stop races, please? But I, I don't see where the tyres will explode in Mexico. There's no really... There, is there any high-speed corners at Mexico? Let's, uh, I'm thinking not, the middle not, sector, not maybe. Anymore, not anymore. Yeah, like, I mean, unless they ran sort of, they skipped the stadium section and did the old circuit around the stadium. Yeah, yeah. yeah, maybe you'd have to go with the compound we use today. But Silverstone, you know, you've got such high loads. Suzuka was the same. Ironically, we never used the dry tires there because it was so wet. Zandvoort with the bank corner. You never bring those super hard C1 that we've only used about five times this season, unless you go to those circuits like Barcelona as well. I think at this circuit, yeah, they did go a step too hard. And Pirelli aren't going to be perfect. They've made mistakes. That you know, They even admitted this weekend they, they probably did make the mistake, as we said. Mm. And I think, again, the race was, you could tell it was a step too hard. The fact that mm. Red Bull and, and Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez were able to make U-Softs last almost half the race was insane. So what this does highlight to me, and I promise we're going to get off Mexico in just a moment, what this highlights to me is how much power Pirelli have to make the sport genuinely entertaining. So that one Pirelli decision was, uh, you know, the difference between an exciting race with loads of strategy, probably not any passing as much action as you'd want, or what we got today, which was a bit of a tease, frankly. But to me, making the change to make the tyres softer, if they don't all explode, is the perfect mix between introducing 
an element that is entertaining and also enriches the sport. I wouldn't want to do things for the sake of it, like double points, Abu Dhabi, or right, and now suddenly each car gets a third team, but only on the 13th lap, go, and they get uh, ninja stars. So that's, you know, just for the show. But Pirelli making that change could make a substantial difference to how F1 is perceived. And there'll be a lot of newer fans who F1 is relying on suddenly looking at a race like this and going, oh, I thought F1 was always brilliant all the time. No, you have to suffer like like us, the fans from the 80s and the 90s. Sometimes F1's boring. Are you actually arguing that tires are the most important thing? I just need to get this on record. No, you shut up. Stuffy, you say things now. Uh, I I just think overall Pirelli are probably going through a learning process. They've made a a couple of mistakes with their compounds this year. The wet tyre is probably the biggest. We've seen teams not want to use it at all because it's slower than the intermediate in extreme wet conditions. All year, the hard tyre has been difficult to switch on from the get-go. It's only going to get harder with, obviously, tyre blankets, being reduced as well but i think maybe with these new regulations with the new aerodynamics the ground effect pirelli are also going through a learning curve of how their tires react with this new style of racing and hopefully i mean this is more of hope than anything i'm hoping that we get better decisions in regards to compounds and just overall better wearing compounds um next year and in the further years and just to wrap up on that is think back to when Pirelli signed this tire deal about 11 years ago, Bridgestone didn't want to sign up to this because they didn't want their brand to get affected by everyone saying, hey, look, our tires are blowing up and hey, we can't make tires that last a long time. Pirelli signed up, got the buy-in from F1. Now they're making durable rubber. It's become a win-win situation. So there's that to consider for Pirelli too, is the fact that do you want to make rubber that's going to go and blow up and wear very easily? Is that good for your branding? No. Certainly not above my pay grade in the business world, but we do have someone who likes to tell us where the race was won and lost. That person's Matt. Yes, and even though I teased you with tires, and you could argue that tire choice was very critical, I would argue today that it was really the start of the race that saw the players put into play that mattered the most. And I am talking about the start with Max and Lewis and George and Checo. Yes, very much, very reminiscent of of the olden days of of Formula One, Matt, where, in fact, I think I've said this in a, a previous show, where in the olden days, you would watch turn one, see how it shook out for the end of lap one. Then you go and make a cup of tea, maybe have a little bit of a nap as the as the, yep. the, the the sounds of F1 cars going round like a screeching lullaby would then suddenly wake you up as, a, oh, maybe it's time for pit stops. Let's see how it'll go. And you could have done that in the race today. But that start from a racing point of view w- was absolutely fascinating. And uh, Stuffy, I think the slipstream dynamics between that front three was actually like it took a few replays to figure out exactly what was going on. Yeah, Mexico, it was big, big talks about that T1 uh, because it's the longest run down into the first corner on the calendar. We was all thinking similar to Sochi. It's not always necessarily the best to be on pole because of how long that run is and how powerful the slipstream is. But then once you saw, uh, not to mention tyres again, but once you saw the Mercedes have medium tyres compared to the Red Bulls on softs, you're just thinking, are they going to get that launch off the line 
yeah. that is required to get ahead of that red ball. Um, and they didn't. And it ended up being the two Mercedes going side by side through the corners instead. My son actually said to me, good question. He said, have Red Bull been overtaken on a straight at all, all season? And I had to think. So if you can name uh, a time when Red Bull have been overtaken on a straight. Very early on in the first couple uh, of seasons when we had the Leclerc and, and Max oh, chopping you- and changing at Saudi and Bahrain. But since then, mm. they've been by far... Like always, the fastest top, team much yeah, in the straight, straight speed. Oh, that's that's taken me back. Oh, I feel like reminiscing. <laughs> Remember when Leclerc was in a championship battle many, many months ago? But that start was was fascinating, though, Jono. And as um as Stuffy says, really, Red Bull were away with it. So Verstappen kind of he did enough to get out. I felt like actually he he could pick which Mercedes to give a slipstream to. And it feels like he actively picked Russell's like, no, shut up, um, Hamilton. But there was loads going on there because Hamilton could have boxed Russell in and gone out into the into the no slipstream, ended up tucking up in behind. Russell, the second he came out of that slipstream, just got hit with a waft of Mexican air and um, and was just a sitting duck from there. You know, Verstappen did everything Bottas should have done last year when they allowed Max Verstappen to lead the race into T1 and the Mercedes cars were pointing fingers and whose fault was that, you know, oh, back yes. then, yeah. 12 months ago. So um, today in the race, the, the, the thing I liked about the start was the, how big of a straight line speed advantage Red Bull have. So as you saw, Max Verstappen in front, Russell tucked right in behind him. As soon as Hamilton in third pulled out of the slipstream, you saw him tuck back into it. He lost so much ground so quickly because he saw Perez creeping in very close behind in fourth. So Hamilton had no option but to join the train in that situation. And then watching Russell's onboard at the start too, he was tucked in the slipstream almost the entire time on the run down to T1 and still couldn't make a move on Max Verstappen. So it was just such a big straight line speed advantage for that Honda engine. Is it Honda? I don't know. I think this is, like you said there, John, I think they had such a straight line speed advantage. And around Mexico, the only real overtaking opportunity is down into T1. Now, Mercedes, were they really going to have an opportunity to beat them outright on pace? They were faster in qualifying in the fast twisty sections because of the better downforce package they've got at this circuit in particular compared to Red Bull. But were they really going to have an opportunity, mm. even with DRS, to beat Max or Perez into that first corner. That's probably why we saw them start on the medium and try and mix it up on strategy, beat them in the pits rather than on outright pace. And it's an important point, and we're going to get to that strategy battle because the fact that Hamilton in the opening sector for pretty much every single lap of the opening stint, he was about a tenth and a half quicker than Verstappen. You take out the draft he was getting, not even the DRS, just the draft, he would lose about two tenths from that draft advantage. So that also kept the Mercedes into Mm. play. So I don't think the Mercedes had the pace today, nevertheless. Uh, Matt, last one on the start. I think we're still on the we're still on the start. We're still, we're on, still on the we start. We haven't even got to turn one yet. I see. I already <laughs> want to argue with Jono about that though. But I'll, I'll, tr- I'll try and I'll try and stick a pen in it for later. I think for the start, um, I think what it demonstrated more than anything else was Russell's inexperience. Because the best place to be going into turn one was directly behind Max if you weren't already ahead of him. He was good at the start, boxing Lewis out from taking that spot from Max. But then he gave it up, and he gave up not one, but two positions as a result of it. And you potentially saw the slightly slower Mercedes, because Hamilton did have some engine issues, actually the lead driver from then on. Stuffy? Yeah, um, 
I'd just really like to give a massive credit to every driver on the grid because how long has it been we haven't seen a turn one incident at Mexico with the speeds that they're all carrying <laughs> with full fuel, higher speed braking zone. I don't think we saw even a lockup down into T1 and yeah. they all got through pretty, to be fair, the race probably could have done with it in the in hindsight, but um, <laughs> fair play to them for all making it through. Which is where Mercedes went wrong. They've got the blueprints from Hungaro Ring 2021. That was the only way they were going to beat Max Verstappen this season was, was if one of them managed to tag uh, tag Verstappen. But even then, you know, he had a speed advantage to, to get away. To me, that, the most fascinating thing about the turn one dynamic here and in Cota is that Lewis Hamilton and George Russell, I'm not trying to stir a fake rivalry, but it's so clear they have eyes on each other and it is important to them which one gets ahead. And t- turn one is especially important with teammates because once they settle into the race, you know they're more than likely going to be told to hold station to save your tyres or avoid curbs, slow down. Oh, we've got an engine issue, which means you can't race, unfortunately. They want to be the one to get that first pit stop. They want the kudos of being up ahead. And I think in Circuit of the Americas, that was on Russell, really keeping his eyes on Hamilton and then kind of not seeing what was going on ahead with with signs or being surprised by it or compromised by his ambition to get by Lewis Hamilton. And here we saw Lewis Hamilton really not wanting to give up around the outside. Whatever I think George Russell did, uh, Hamilton was going to be escorting him to the end. Russell was quite compliant pretty much took to the road, just had a whisper of tyre, still on the track at the exit of turn three. But Hamilton, if he needed to have shoved him off, I think Hamilton was shoving him off. Those two are vying to stamp their authority in Mercedes because they think they've got a winning car for 2023. I don't think, I think you're onto something there. Not so much really within the team, but everyone outside, the public are (laughs) noticing it. I don't know if you noticed, David Coulthard did the interviews after qualifying And he asked a cheeky little question to Hamilton and said, so is there anything you can learn from George Russell's qualifying lap? <laughs> and the look Lewis gave him, I think Lewis took that a bit personally. And that was kind of a little bit of an answer to um, those critics about him and George Russell. But I'm still here and I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. John, I'd be disappointed if they, they weren't competing in an inter-team way, be it in a friendly way that's not as destructive or as toxic as the Rosberg-Hamilton battle, or indeed Hamilton and Alonso at McLaren. But Matt, let's move on to strategy, because that is, I think, the one thing we really can pin our hat on, hook our hat on, pin our tail on. Let's pin the strategy tail on the Mexican donkey. Let's do that. And to do that, we really have to talk about the tyres. Pirelli came out before the race, and they said the fastest way around the track was a two-stopper, soft, medium, medium. A trick! And the next quickest was medium hard, one stop. What did we see? Soft medium, one stop, won the race. And potentially the fastest way round was a, maybe a medium hard, a medium soft with a change of tire at lap 45. It was a nightmare because there was essentially no degradation on these tires, which I think is the point Jana was making earlier that the tires were wildly overperforming what you'd normally expect. And it it threw all of the engineers into a complete and total disarray. And add to that fact, and I think this is really what did Mercedes in and, and saved Red Bull's bacon. Yesterday in qualifying, the track temperature was 50 degrees C. 
Today, when the race started, it was 45 degrees C by lap 10. It was down to 40, and it eventually dropped to 38. And as the temperature came down, Uh the tires and the tire management came more and more into Red Bull's window. You see, I've got a bit of a, maybe a hot take on this, but I think Red Bull lucked into that strategy today uh, and a bit into that win. Because at the start, they... Starting on the soft tyres, probably preparing to do a two-stop strategy. They had two sets of fresh mediums, a set of fresh hards, and Mercedes on the mediums clearly going for that alternative strategy, trying to outdo them by basically saying to Red Bull, you're going to have to do this out on track. And what happened is that Perez and Verstappen were actually the two earliest drivers other than Stroll to come in and pit on the soft tyres to the mediums. That's around lap 23 and 25. Now, that indicates to me that they're going to a two-stop strategy. They're on U-Softs, yeah. ah, two new sets of so mediums. They thought, so you're saying at this point with the first stop, they were going with the Pirelli prediction. Yeah. Yes, exactly that. And then it was only when, and then a few laps later, Hamilton came in for his one stop on the hards. Apparently, Toto Wolf says that this was forced onto him by Lewis, contrary to what Lewis has said in interviews afterwards. So a little bit of contradiction <laughs> there. But it was only when you saw Vettel doing pretty decent lap times on soft tyres for nearly 40 laps. Yeah. Danny Rick and Joe take their tyres to 44 laps on mediums. But the Red Bulls then went, hang on a second, we can, <laughs> uh, we can do something here. Because I don't know if anyone picked up on it. Alpine even came onto Alonso's radio and said to him, the hard tyre looks a good race tyre. They even saw that because Hamilton was doing mm. pretty similar lap times to Max, but no one predicted that the medium tyre would last that long or just tyres in general. Um, Matt, quickly then. Yeah, well, I, I just wanted to, to pick up on that. Vettel went 37 laps on the soft tyre before he pitted. Did he? But yeah, oh. he absolutely did. Um, but but the thing I heard Hamilton say was that he wanted, and George said this too, that they both kind of wanted to start on the soft tire at the beginning of the race. So maybe he and Toto were talking about different things there. Maybe. I think overall Mercedes were just trying to be a little bit more aggressive with their strategy, try and force Red Bull's hand. But unfortunately, it swung right into their lap. Here's where I believe... And and apart from Christian Horner saying after the race that he said, no, it was planned, that strategy, I don't think that's true. I think that everyone was planning a two-stop and then the deg sort of was better than expected. Yeah. What was embarrassing for Mercedes was that for 67 of the 71 laps of this race, Lewis Hamilton, which is the car that was competing for the win, he was on slower tyres than Max Verstappen. What I mean by that is not more worn tyres. I mean, for 67 of those laps, when Max was on the soft, Lewis is on the medium. Mm. When Max is on the medium, Lewis is on the hard. And that goes to, and to me, Mercedes, at least we know they were planning a two-stop. And Red Bull probably adjusted and said, hey, Mercedes have butchered this race. Mm. Let's just one-stop and hold them back. We don't need a two-stop this and risk it. Yeah, so it's okay to be on a slower tyre for the whole of the race if you're forcing your opponents into a two-stop. So if Red Bull had done the two-stop, it doesn't really matter that you were on a, a you were on the harder compounds. But for how it turned out in the end, with hindsight, Jono, what really happened is that Mercedes, for no reason, voluntarily were on harder, slower tyres, matching on pretty similar strategies. Obviously, they, they wouldn't have known that going in, and we wouldn't have mm. predicted that going in. 
Well, that's where I think Mercedes dictated Red Bull strategy. Mercedes essentially helped them win the race because <laughs> they went on the slower compounds. And yeah, that the aim was maybe we'll try and one stop when Red Bull two stop. And Red Bull said, well, we don't need to. We've got track yeah. advantage now. Let's just one stop this race. So it was quite a catastrophe, really. And I know Mercedes didn't, what I heard, the reason they didn't start on the softs, and this could be wrong, was that they were used softs. Well, Red Bull managed to make them yeah. last almost 25 laps. Ugh, Matt. Uh, I'm going to really violently disagree with you there because think back. What is the one thing that Mercedes, even in this thin atmosphere, did not have? Straight line speed over the Red Bull. What is the one thing they needed to pass the Red Bull on track, which would have been going the opposite way for them strategically? Chicken they wings. needed that oh, no. speed. They had to make this work in the either get ahead at the start of the race, hold them back, or pass them in the pits. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Matt, there, to be honest. Uh, not to rain on your parade choice. there, John. Um, ah, John you heard, you heard throughout the race, Hamilton and Russell continue to question these tyres. They, they didn't feel comfortable in them from the get-go, but Bono and George's rush, uh, engineer kept coming on saying, Verstappen's tyres are going to fall off. Yeah, Perez's tyres are going to yeah. fall off. They're go. They was banking on the... Um, on the Red Bull's tyres falling off and having to come in and make another pit stop and overtake on track. But it just never came. And even Lewis went, uh, he's he's putting away. What's happening here, guys? <laughs> Look, I know what you're saying, and I, I that's a good point too. But when you're trying to overcut and you get that little track advantage you can somehow make a pass, you know? So, for example, I thought if Mercedes two-stopped and managed to get that overcut, they could have been on the softs at the end of the race or maybe if they went medium-medium, for example. Or if you don't want to show your hand, hey, just go medium-soft and then pretend you're you're sort of going to the end on the softs, which is never going to happen. But my point is at least try and get the overcut and then that's your advantage there on lap time. Yes, you might not be able to pass in a straight line, but the tires would help you. You know, you get right up to the back of the Red Bull. No way you don't pass them when you have DRS. Okay, so this is where it gets very interesting. It would have been close. Option one, start on the soft tire, go to the medium tire, like Red Bull. But I don't think Mercedes could have won that way because there wasn't enough tire degradation because the track temperatures drop. Option two is start on the medium and pull a Daniel Ricardo. And guess what I did? I actually looked at some numbers for that. And if Lewis had done that, if he if he'd gone all Go the on. way to lap forty five, yeah. he had he had he had a seventeen second gap on Max, he would have lost a second a lap for fifteen laps pitted had a 20 second gap to catch from lap 45 to the end on the soft tire to catch max and we saw ricardo in a mclaren which does not also have great speed in a straight line passing alpines and everybody else such a big difference it was uh, yeah and i think george russell's lap at the end where he was about two and a half seconds i think faster than than anyone else on track made everyone go ooh. If someone had been a bit brave, 10 laps from the end and just bolting on an extra pair of softs, it, you know, it, it could have made a difference. Well, even 15 laps from the end. So I think it's kind of painting a picture here that George Russell was kind of right with every call he made. Now, initially, I was thinking, oh, this is George Russell, who seems like someone who likes to go to the extreme tactics. And yeah, Stuffy's nodding. He likes to kind of go for it. You know, he's a bit Jensen Button with the intermediates. Go, yeah, we'll risk the slicks. Yeah, let's get onto the wet tyres before everyone else. Let's do something different. So I thought he was being just a bit impetuous like that, trying to A, go from uh, uh, the mediums 
all the way into the soft tyre zone and then B, wanting to come off the hards onto the softs. But he, he was probably right on both counts. 100%. Uh, if he'd gone onto those, he knew, I think he made that call about three laps into his hard stint yeah. after going yeah. into him. He knew very quickly. And this was an example of drivers sticking to what their pit wall is telling them. Uh, because the Mercedes kept telling them, no, but this is the right tyre. Trust us, the mediums are going to fall off. And it never did. Whereas if they'd listened to George, split the strategies, then maybe we could have had a Ricardo, a, a similar Ricardo situation where he just made up all that time towards the end. And uh, yeah, we might have had a different ending to this race. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I don't think what... So this is what didn't help Mercedes, right? If you had another team, and as far as I know, I think Hamilton was the first on the hards from my memory. I've got to go look at the, the sheet right now. But if you Latifi. had another driver... Come out, oh Latifi, yeah. Well, come Sorry on, that's not that. a reference point. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not. but it is true. It is true that Latifi was first on the hearts. <laughs> he did finish two laps down, and the only driver two laps down. Anyway, um, if they had a a good driver on the hearts, oh, I mean, a, another driver on the heart. Sorry, you know what Ooh. I mean. My bad. Um, <laughs> we'll then, edit that out. Don't worry. <laughs> no, it's all right. Sorry, Nicholas. I've had a, I've had enough making fun of him now. Um, my point is finally to mm. get to it. You could have used that as a reference point. And this happened in other races. Was it Zanvoort, the race where they chucked a few drivers on hards and it was like, well, that's not working. Yeah. Why would we ever go on that tire? And then that was the last time we had sort of the C1s in play that race, you know, the hardest compound available. We didn't have that this weekend, but you get my point. Yeah. And I was, I was disappointed in general when you see, well, you're going for this longer go long strategy, but then you only go four laps longer on your mediums than, than Red Bull did on the soft. Here's the thing. Both Russell and Hamilton loved the medium tire. They were both, we're happy with yeah. this tire. If you bring if you bring Hamilton in to cover off Max or because you think this is the winning strategy, so be it. Russell is now leading the race on a tire he's happy on. It's another, It's the math wasn't as good for him because he was further back. But at the end of the day, 
if they just said, well, why don't we let Russell stay out till Max catches him? And if he's close enough to the end, we could just put him on soft tires and see what happens. That's where I think, mm. that's where I'd like to see some more creative flexibility from Mercedes. Well, I think Stuffy's right. I think they had put all their eggs in the basket of, don't worry, <laughs> don't worry, Red Bull's mediums are going to go any second now. And I just want to get into that that experience of, of watching it into the timing screens. So as viewers, with not a lot of on-track action, what we see in stint one and what we saw here by watching the timing screens is actually very similar to what we saw Hamilton being very good at against Rosberg, against Vettel and and against Bottas as well, which is managing the stint one. And I think looking at our patron Slack group during the race, there's you know a mixture of, of understanding of what's going on in stint one. And I'm certainly no strategy expert either. But there were some people, you know, are still looking at it going, oh, um, Hamilton's oh, Hamilton's catching up a bit. Oh, now Verstappen's faster. Hamilton must have made a mistake. Oh, Perez is catching up a bit. Oh, he's dropped back. What's going on? And I think it's hard to pick apart the nuance of what the drivers are up to. And to my best understanding, you've basically got a three-pronged game of chicken between drivers in a pack on that stint one, which is a, a DRS chicken. So ca- can I... Can I save as much tyres as I can without letting the driver behind me into the DRS zone one second away to let them open the rear flap to catch me? Can I keep my pace up fast enough to to say uh, and save my tyres at the same time so that I can either go longer or I'm going to have more tyres to attack at the end of the stint? And, and this is the kind of thing that we've seen Lewis Hamilton be brutal at before uh, during stint one. And I was a little bit disappointed here, Matt, that... Yes, he was maintaining that gap okay. He was maintaining the gap to, to Perez. Perez would be threatening the DRS zone, and then he'd push on a little forward f- further and a little faster. And you'd see him get a jump in lap times on Verstappen and think he was catching. And then Verstappen, he's obviously managing his tyres as well. He pulls away because he doesn't want Lewis Hamilton in his, his DRS or even in his toe. Uh, but what we didn't see was Lewis Hamilton doing that aggressive push. And I would just wonder, because the soft tyre did drop off, could Lewis Hamilton have harassed Max Verstappen in the way that he used to do to, to Vettel and Bottas and Rosberg to try and force them into a different strategy? It's possible. It would have been easier for him maybe if he was on the soft tire at the start of the race. But again, you just, uh, you didn't have, Red Bull didn't run the tire long enough to make that strategy work for Mercedes. Uh, no, but what I'm saying is, if Ham- look, if Hamilton's closing the gap and suddenly Verstappen's like, well, I can't let him in the DRS, he's going to overtake here, I need to increase my pace, you're then taking out tyre life. And Hamilton was great at that. I haven't seen him do that this season, but you know, he used to really force a competitor to use up their tyre life. And you, you would have Bottas stuffy, who's a great driver, looking ordinary at the end of first stints because he'd lost his tyres and he was all over the place and Hamilton would just cruise by him even though they're both very fast drivers. I think this just falls straight back into the fact that Mercedes briefings, Mercedes, Lewis had been told that this isn't going to be done out on track. This is going to be Uh, done in the pit lane. And I think they also brought him in early, as Matt said. His tyres were good. And I think the reason Lewis didn't go as hard as harder as he could have done and done exactly what you've just said, uh, harassed told, Max a yeah. bit more. I think he's been told we're going to take this a lot longer. And then I'll be interesting to hear and find out if actually, because 30 laps, I think he, uh, I've got the charts up here, 
lap 29 he came in and pitted that's only yeah. four laps after yeah 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 um, max. max and that's actually a lap earlier than what pirelli had even suggested for their medium tires why did they bring him in so early and that's i think lewis was under the impression probably before the race that they was going to take that medium tire a bit longer I think it goes back to what Matt said, which was Mercedes were probably scared that they couldn't pass the Red Bulls, you know, because mm. Perez, and this is where having a good second driver is really important. Perez was used in the race win fight today. He was used as a driver who pitted early to threaten the Mercedes and Mercedes gone, well, you know, if we're going to have to pass two Red Bulls in one race to win this race, that's going to be tough. Let's pit Lewis now. It ended up ultimately being such a wrong decision. Okay. And look, I... Uh... I was dithering on the show title a little earlier. Normally we do a show title. There was one, and it's from a certain Mr. Mike Stoner. But because Max Verstappen has got the record for the most race wins, I'm going to finally allow a pun to be the show title reluctantly. So the title of today's show is The Mexico Grand Prix. It's not even a good pun, Matt. It's not even a good pun. No, it's not. Um, I, I know that we discussed, have we discussed the virtual safety car and Russell yet? No, because, because he was asking to come in. And was he pretending that he had a flat tire or did I miss that? Yeah, he was pretending he had a flat tire. <laughs> That's quite funny. I thought I caught that. I thought, no, he's not going to be sitting there. It's like, it's like when the equivalent of a kid putting their forehead on the radiator to go, look, mum, feel my forehead. It's, I, I have That's to hot. take a day off school. I have to. <laughs> like, I've got a flat tire. No, you haven't, George. We can see we've got all the numbers here. No, you haven't. Yeah, it was hilarious. And he's like, well, this tire is still terrible and we should come in right now. And he wasn't wrong. He didn't have anything to lose because the Ferraris were behind him. But what he didn't remember or didn't understand strategically was that he was sitting in both Perez and Verstappen's pit window. Yes. And there was no way they were going to give up a fast lap to Red Bull if they could help it. Yeah. And well, all the way through, I did wonder if, if Max did have to pit at any point, Russell had stayed in that pit window. So yep. on a track that's difficult to overtake, Russell would only have had to have held him up a second or two, a couple of seconds. That could have been the difference between Hamilton winning or losing. Yeah, I will say, I think if they did bring him in, then he might well have caught and passed Lewis for second place on the soft tire. All right. Such was the advantage that late in the race. All right. We're going to play a little game in just a second. Or shall we, shall we play it now? Yeah, let's do it now. Whose fault is it? Because I want to get to... Some of the racing action. And here look, we go. I'm definitely not going to sit here and say that the Mexican Grand Prix was one of the most action-packed in the in the world in the F1 season. But I, but we see it coming now. And I think, you know, if this was your first Mexican Grand Prix, then you, you know next time you see it, it's like Monaco, it's like Barcelona. It's got its quirks and foibles. So I think a lot of F1 enjoyment is down to expectation management. And I think Mexico, it's got its place on the calendar, much in the same way that Zandvoort has its place on the calendar. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. It's a celebration of, of Formula One in Mexico. They're certainly having a good time. The crowd, I think, is best described as feral. That is a, a, a hell of an atmosphere to match, I think, Zanvoort and Silverstone. Um, and and, Co- and Cota seem to have a great atmosphere as well. So it's not going anywhere, but it does have its foibles. As we talked about, we talked about the, the high air. We talked about um, the... All the three points we went through before. The one thing we didn't do is talk about the layout. We didn't talk about the layout and the, the stadium section 
It sort of spaces everyone out going down to turn one, which limits turn one overtakes. Uh, but the in section is very go-kart tracky and it's much more similar to Monaco than it is to say Kota uh, with the double right-hander that led to this first incident for whose fault is it, which was Daniel Ricciardo versus Yuki Tsunoda. Okay, I believe this is going to be a battle between Stuffy and and Jono. Who wants to make the case first? Let's go, uh, Jono. Whose fault was it? Well, it's it's obviously Daniel Ricciardo's fault, and here's why it's Daniel Ricciardo's fault. Now, it's okay to make mistakes in the world, that's fine, but Look at the incident that happened a couple laps later between, uh, well, not even an incident, just a sort of racing battle between Guan Yu Zhou, Sebastian Vettel. Zhou pokes his nose up the inside and Vettel gives him space. Why? Because Zoe was already alongside him heading into the corner. Ricardo's gone for a great lunge and it goes back to that Lance Stroll theory we had. A good driver doesn't turn into that and doesn't crash into Daniel Ricardo. Sonoda, not sort of being aware, turns in. There's an incident, 0% Sonoda's fault. If he was a good driver looking in his mirrors, he probably could have avoided the incident. But totally Danny Ricciardo's fault. Was a 10-second penalty draconian? Is any penalty in motorsport fair? Like Sonoda's retired and Ricciardo's gone and had one of his best results in two years? No, no motorsport penalties are fair. But there, that's my analysis of the incident. Stuffy, whose fault was it? So anyone who has listened to this podcast before will know that I am a harsh critic of Yuki Sonoda. Boo. I am not 100% saying it's Yuki's fault. I do agree, actually, it's Daniel's fault. Oh. But what I will say, I know it's a bit of an anticlimactic <laughs> there, uh, anticlimax, but I do think Sonoda has, he hasn't hit the apex there. I'm not saying you have to hit the apex every single time, but as John has said, He's clearly not, he knows Daniel's there, but he's not fully aware of where he is because he doesn't, he kind of half-heartedly turns into that apex. He leaves room. If you look at when the point of contact is, Daniel is as close to that curb as can possibly be. Yes, it was a lunge. And if there was a more aware driver, then that move would have been brilliant. But because it's Yuki, just a little bit of spatial awareness, kind of half-heartedly turns into the corner and that's allowed Daniel to go, thank you. I will slip in there. Um, but unfortunately, it, it didn't pan out that way. And they they knocked wheels. Matt? Yeah. So this is an interesting thing about the penalty I want to get to in a second. But I think it's 100% Ricardo's fault because on TV, it was a fake alongside of. I think Yuki started turning, breaking and turning in before Ricardo's nose was anywhere near never mind his front <laughs> wing or his front wheels, anywhere near where Tsunoda was. And I think Tsunoda knew he was back there and was giving him a space to gracefully back out <laughs> in case he was kind of near the back of Tsunoda's car. And instead, Ricardo being Ricardo, said, I'm really tired of being behind you on my fresh new soft tires that are two and a half second laps faster. <laughs> I'm going to shove it right up in there and see if I can't sneak by. Uh, Ricardo's own explanation post-race was that it wasn't a, an out-and-out overtaking attempt, but he was trying to put his nose in to show, to say, oh, well, you need to now go around me, give me space, and give me a better exit, which uh, it doesn't like really, uh, you know, I, I don't take much truck with that. You've still sort of put your nose in, and by the time, I think you're right, Matt, that, that Sonoda was committing to turn in, 
uh, Ricardo wasn't as far alongside as he was when the contact eventually happened. But but on the other on the other part of it, like you're right, Sonoda wasn't going for the apex, so he was kind of in this wishy washy middle ground. And whilst I agree, Daniel Ricardo's fault, you know, you've you've just yeeted him off the track there. What was Sonoda's plan? It's quite a gamble to say I'm going to shut the door on you when you've got some part of your car alongside. So we're on a straight, we're going to the corner, you are somewhat alongside, I'm going to shut the door and rely on you to, to, to back out. So what you're doing now is saying the fate of my race is in the hands of Daniel Ricciardo making a decision. If you were the driver coach, you might look back at that and go, well, if you had have left a car's width and gone to the outside and given yourself a, a good run out, maybe you'd still be in that Grand Prix. Go on, John. Go on, John. You, you're itching. I, I just came up with the best theory, perfect for Mr. Apex, is so Alpha Tauri's, I just realized they're one point behind Haas for eighth in the Constructors' Championship. Now, if Yuki had taken out both himself and Danny Rick out of the race in that situation, Gasly would have scored a point. They would have been tied with Haas for eighth. That could have been what uh, Yuki Tsunoda was thinking about. No, that's obviously a joke. Somebody's going to take that no. seriously somewhere out there and tweet it. What have I told you? Never admit it's a joke. Just deal with the YouTube Just comments. Deal, yeah. Just deal with it. <laughs> I think, as you were saying, Spanners, like he was in that wishy-washy land. And yeah. you talked about that little section of the track is like go-kart. Oh, anyway. It's like indoor go-kart well, track, isn't it? Well, what Danny was doing was kind of a standard go-kart yeah, in move anyway. He was totally. trying the cutback. Now, I think Yuki has done enough F1 races and enough junior racing to know kind of what might potentially be coming and if you give someone who is hounding you a couple of corners previously anyway, I'm sure he probably got info that, oh, you've got a fresh, a, a feisty Daniel Daniel Ricardo with fresh tyres, soft tyres on your rear. You're not going to invite them to show their nose uh, because otherwise he's going to take that opportunity. Still Daniel's fault, but Sonoda, once again, I think could have done better yeah. to avoid that situation entirely look i know three or four australians and based on that sample size of basically jono uh, uncle steve and watching daniel ricardo on telly i i think he'll be completely fine with it and in fact he'll probably look at that and go yeah it's worked out a yeeted sonoda out of the way so he's not even in the race anymore he's out so he can't come back at me uh, i've i've Utilise my soft tyres because if I'd got stuck behind him, it would have been a waste. I've gotten ahead of the cars in front. I've built my 10-second gap and I've got away with it scot-free. So I think he'll probably be like, ah, well. <laughs> I don't think he'll be sitting in bed sweating going, ah, oh, Yuki. Yuki hasn't texted me back after I apologised. I would just like to make a comment. It could be included in regards to who missed the apex, but is there ever going to be consistency in the FIA and the stewarding? Did that really warrant a 10-second penalty when George Russell's last week was a five-second penalty? Uh, I don't agree with it, but they they go easier on on lap one. They go easier. I I still think like you still wrecked someone's race being a turnip, but because it's lap one, you get less of a penalty. I think they thought it would cost him a place because he had the soft tires instead of the slower tires that everybody else had. And it was just hilarious to watch him make them all completely wrong about that. And then going back to, so Gasly's five-second penalty, which didn't make any sense either. I mean, he passed off the track, didn't sort of oh. give the place back. And then they said, let's give him a five-second penalty, even though he's like two and a half oh, okay. seconds up the road. No, no, okay. So I agree with that getting a penalty, because even though he was far enough alongside, he 
because the, the rule now is people are basically saying if you're ahead at the apex th- this was meant to be for the outside car i'm assuming they're going to start applying that to the inside car if you're ahead at the apex you've got your nose ahead you're sort of entitled to room so if you're the inside car and you're ahead at the apex you can basically run that other person off track as long as you stay on track that's fine the outside car to have the right to be left room on the outside you need to have your nose ahead this is, it seems to be how they're judging it however gasly got to the point of being ahead by being like four wheels locked up and stroll had picked his line to turn in and had to steer out of it because gasly was out of control so i agree with that penalty but i think there's a bit of confusion matt as to this new directive about what what cars do and when they should give the place back Okay, so admittedly, I'm going to go right now and look at the actual document as soon as I find it. But my <laughs> understanding was that Gasly's penalty wasn't for oh. forcing Stroll off track. It was for passing someone off track, gaining an advantage, uh. and then not returning it. Okay, that's weird. <laughs> okay. Well, Gasly was all four wheels off when he passed Stroll. And I think the, the, that's what that penalty uh, was okay. about. Oh, either way, same the, result. The, uh, just one more thing the fia needs to clamp down on that because now i'm going to pass somebody around the outside in all cases gasly would have lost so much more time he would have fallen probably behind albon if he gave the place back because albon was right there hunting stroll and at the end results albon 12th gasly 11th that could have changed the course of the race the fia needs to be a bit more draconian with that and the fact that they gave five seconds to him uh for that is a little bit is a very very weird i think well i agree with it I double-checked, leaving the track, gaining an advantage. That's why Gasly got the penalty. All right. So it is okay to get ahead of another driver by being all four wheels locked up, leave some 11s down down the back straight, and then just force your opponent off. Okay. But if if so, if Gasly had, had done all that but managed to stay on, that would have been a legit pass. That doesn't, that doesn't feel right with me. That doesn't sit okay with me. Uh, but does that mean Daniel Ricciardo's back? See, I got laughed off of the uh, BBC checkered flag podcast when i said when i said that ricardo would get get him back that was the end at the end of last season but finally i've been proved right by this one race matt finally he's back yeah just give him a two and a half second advantage over everyone he's (laughs) racing and look at him pass people yeah yeah i know but look at least it was um i guess a consolation prize (laughs) it was actually i it Mm. was lovely to see Uh, like i am making fun of it because he had such a huge tire advantage but it was lovely to see him out there passing people. And yeah, yeah, it was, it was really worthwhile. Just shows what confidence can do in, in this sport. Because last week, he had an absolute shocker. Bottom of the timing sheets in every yeah. session. Just a horrible, horrible weekend for him. And then he's come here. The race is going relatively well. The strategy is falling into his hands. And yeah, on those soft tyres, just seeing the grip and the confidence in that car that he's probably not had all season. It was, uh, it was Daniel Ricciardo of old. It was great to see. Hi, it's Spanners here from Missed Apex Podcast. And if you've got 56 minutes in to a race review about that Mexican Grand Prix, then you probably enjoy having Missed Apex on in the background. And I just want to say I've had so many fantastic interactions uh, in the last few weeks over email, over DMs, and, and talking and chatting and discussing things over Twitter. So please do keep them coming. I really have felt like I'm just in the middle of a, a lovely little corner 
of the F1 fan digital content space. And it's been really nice interacting with you guys. Uh, I always read everything that comes in. Sometimes the messages will will be brief. Sometimes they'll be too long and you'll wish I I stopped replying. Uh, But please do keep those interactions coming. I'm at Spanners Ready on Twitter or Richard Ready on Facebook. Or you could consider becoming a patron if you've been listening to us all season. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Check out the tiers there. You'll have an ad-free feed and we'll have content all through the winter as well. Don't worry, we'll have that F1 fix directed, uh, injected directly into your veins. We'll have one show a week all the way off the off-season or over the off-season until we get to the 2023 season proper. And also, if you think you were doing a good job but you don't like the Patreon model and you just want to pat me and Matt on the head, uh, you can go and check out our tip jar in the notes below. Uh, I guarantee 100% Patreon gets used to further the productivity of the whole project and keep us going. We are only here because of our patrons. Guarantee the tip jar will at least partially be spent on rum for me and whiskey for Matt. Yes. <laughs> okay, so uh, mistapexpodcast.com forward slash tip jar or click the link below. Thanks for listening. Who's the biggest Ferrari fan on the panel? I don't think we've ever found out uh, about your fandom stuffy. Stuffy, where'd you plant your flag? Don't say you're neutral or I will boot you off this Zoom call super fast. <laughs> oh, you're on mute, I think, there, Stuffy. That's so we'll never know. That. You're on mute, so we'll <laughs> never know. He said it. He'd revealed his fandom, but now we'll never know what a Little massive Dino. stroll fan he is. I get asked this question every single watch along that I do. Yeah. And ultimately, I'm British. I'm a Brit- British bias. Brit bias. Brit bias. Growing up, growing up with Lewis Hamilton. I support George Russell, Lando <laughs> Norris, even Alex Albon, even though he flies under the tie flag. Yeah. That is what I repeat every single time. And McLaren is okay. probably my favourite team. And I so. think that is a, that's a sort of default in sport in general. Like if you're going to get into football and you don't know who to support, you go along to your local team and you cheer for your country at the World Cup. Uh, Brits come under, I always get accused of, oh, you're Brit bias, even though I'm only a fan of like one of the Brits. All I'll say is if you're getting accused of Brit bias, the Australians all support the the driver by default, Weber or uh, or Ricardo. The Mexicans, everyone loves it when they go mad for for Perez, and of course the you know the Dutch default behind um, Max Verstappen. So I shan't I shan't berate you for that, Stuffy. Uh, your watch-alongs, you mentioned it. It's something that I would never do. I, I wouldn't be brave enough to do it. But um, tell us where we can find your watch-alongs for the last two races. Uh, over on my YouTube, uh, at Stuffy, uh, a bit of a weird spelling, S-T-U-F-F-E-double-Y. Apologies for that. <laughs> it's basically my first initial and last name, but Scott someone else. Tuffy, Stuffy with a double Y, a double E, yeah. double Y. Link will be in the show notes uh, below. Um, so, not a Ferrari fan then, uh, so you will have been pleased uh, seeing them disappear sadly into the midfield. Well, the team, not so much, but they're drivers I am fans of. I really like Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc. And um, yeah, it was a boring day at the office for them, wasn't it? They were in no man's land, both of them. I think they finished nearly 30 seconds ahead of um, Daniel Ricciardo and then about the same from George Russell in front. So I kind of even forgot they was on the track, to be honest. Everyone, when you're watching <laughs> the timing sheets of everyone yeah. coming across the line, because more than half the field got lapped, Everyone had finished their times and their races before Ferrari even did, and yet they finished fifth and sixth. So what you're saying is Ferrari finished last in this race. Well, yeah, yeah pretty much, but somehow still finished 
fifth and sixth. Yeah, uh, a very very poor weekend for them, and almost seems like they've. I mean, we knew they'd given up on this yeah. season, but they've like given Bonotto, up, given up. They've like really, they've double given up. Yeah, Bonotto's not even bothered to turn up to the last two races. <laughs> Apparently, he's back in Italy trying oh, to okay. gem up for next year, which <laughs> is the right person <laughs> you want to be gearing you up. I think we've learned from from team principals in the past, Matt, that you know the team principal doesn't necessarily have to be at every race and will prioritize other things. They're not changing tires, are they? No, I, I think we've learned from Matthew Carter exactly how important team principles are in many cases. <laughs> I'll afford him that clip. All right. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Well, I mean, I know what you're going to do. A, I know what you're going to do now. A, gloat that Sainz was on form, and B, you're going to make excuses for Ferrari. I can just feel it. I can feel it. I, I'm not going to make excuses for Ferrari, but do you remember earlier when we were talking about the altitude in the air in Mexico? I do remember that. You, that was really good. That was good. You remember me mentioning specifically turbochargers? No, I'd fallen asleep by then. Of course you did. Um, Well, as it turns out, the official word from the the Tifosi, from the Scuderia themselves, is that they had turbocharger issues running them at full RPM because of the altitude. They were basically exploding, remember Friday? So in order to keep that from happening, they basically turned their power units way down and then took a bunch of downforce off the car. So I think if, if I think if I'm correct about Ferrari, essentially what they said was, what's the slowest we can go and still finish ahead of whichever <laughs> midfielder is going to be behind <laughs> and, and, us and not explode and, and not blow up our engine? Yeah. Yes. Well, speaking of stuff blowing up, I think the next thing we need to go to is Alonso. Not only did his his car blew up, his Ego blew up, his, uh, his social media blew up. He was, so I tell you what, hats off to the lad. He's what? He's 47 years old, right? He's 47 years old. And even though he was running in a sort of middling position, he still had that fury and he was still head in his helmet in his hands and he was still, you know, throwing his arms, just frustrated at the lack of performance. The fire is still there. That is not in any doubt whatsoever course he's come under fire this week a little bit because he said oh well he was reported to have said lewis hamilton's titles aren't as valuable as max verstappen's which i don't think is quite what he was intending to say but that story got a couple of times around the world before the truth had a chance to do up its shoelaces Uh, but the fire is still in his belly jono isn't it it is number one normally Lewis has done a great job over the past couple of years and for most of the last few years of not responding to that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't fight back at no. criticism from his competitors. To send that tweet out of him finishing first and Alonso second at Indianapolis 15 years ago was actually hilarious, you know, because Alonso yeah. has been making these digs at Lewis the last couple of years since the pandemic started. Alonso has been going all in on on sort of demeaning and and despising Lewis Hamilton's sort of achievements because he's had the quickest car and all this kind of stuff. So there was um yeah, there was a lot of a lot of stuff going on there. Now when he retired the car and he was going berserk and waving his arms and all this kind of sort of attitude he had, you know, it's good to know that at 41 years old he's still got that fire, which 41 years old is now the new young, because as far as we found out before the podcast, the new British Prime Minister is 42 years old. The so same Alonso's age almost, as me. I'm the yeah. same age as the Prime Minister. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, anyway, as as angry I was just getting at my headphones there because they cut out for a bit, um, that's how angry uh, Alonso was <laughs> at uh, <laughs> his car yeah. today. I love the fire. I love his competitive spirit. Um, and again, 
another lesson. Lesson 42 of the Fernando Alonso Media School. Bite back at your competitors. (laughs) So it would be jarring if he was not beating teammates, if he was poodling around at the back, if he was phoning it in. And so with Sebastian Vettel, as good as he is and as loved as he is, you could see that same fire wasn't wasn't there. You could see him mentally checking out. And, you know, he said he'd, he'd been struggling with that for a long time. I don't think Alonso's given five minutes thought this year that he might might retire. Uh, stuffy. Yeah, I mean, he was a man who seemed like he was on a mission today. He was really a tower two halves um, for Alonso. Heard him, his engineer come on the radio and he went, give me whatever tire you want. Uh, the car feels really good. He was running in P7, mm-hmm. uh, only behind the top six. And then I'm just looking now, they put him onto the hard tyre oh. um, after 40 laps on the mediums. And and then obviously it just went straight down here. His demeanour changed very quickly. He wasn't a happy boy again. And of course, uh, icing on the cake was his engine going pop. So yeah, uh, really, we saw all sides of Alonso today and this weekend, really, in general. Uh, yeah, well, call up. Uh, they put Ocon onto the hard tire first. As with Hamilton, the lap times were good. And so he was perfectly happy to go onto that tire. But I'll tell you in my mind what really happened. My mind that, so I was surprised because uh, Ocon had the whole battle with Bottas. And now you have the Alpines running line astern. You think this is great for them versus McLaren. And then I look up because the leaders are coming through and there's Alcon right behind Alonso. And I'm like, that was like six or seven seconds. And they were roughly on pace with each other. So I was surprised that gap had closed. And then, you know, the two of them go by him and then bang goes his engine. I think he got out of the car and he was like, oh, well, you know, this is Formula One. I grew up in the era where my engine could explode any lap. And he looked up and saw Daniel Ricardo's times on the soft tire, oh. knew he'd only pitted five laps earlier than him, and he completely lost it with the Alpine strategy department. I think that's where his anger came from. Uh, yeah. Well, do you remember Alonso went through a phase of when the race wasn't going well or when he was just out of the points? He'd go, oh, no, I've got uh, a handbrake issue. He'd, go, he'd be like, oh, the sunroof isn't working. Fernando, there's no sunroof. And he would just park it. So I just wondered, like, oh, was that? did that happen today? Or did he have a genuine engine blow up? I think it was a genuine engine blow <laughs> oh, okay. up. But I, I think the anger was looking at the soft tire times that Ricardo was running. They're just, Alpine are just trying to make Fernando Alonso um, sorry. Or, or making it, just get him out as soon as possible. Because as we know, with Alonso's form, Alpine, or uh, the team, he leaves, ends up improving the year after. So fully expect Alpine to be uh, sorting out their reliability issues and fighting for podiums next year and him uh, slogging it out at the back with uh, the, the Williams maybe or whoever is going to be down the bottom. If you remember, that was lesson, I think, eight of like 99 of Alonso's media school. Alienate everyone you've ever <laughs> met in Formula One and when you leave. Uh, uh, yes, well, you know, teams do have him back though. You know, like when McLaren got him back, you're like, no. No, he's no good for you, Maka. He's no good for you. Oh, no, he loves me, really, honestly. Uh, Jono, we love you, really. What are you up to? You are a presenter and a commentator, one of some renowned, but on an island on a rock far, far away. Quite a big island. What, what are you up to in Australia? Yeah. 
Oh, what am I up to? So I am finishing my postgrad in broadcasting in a Ooh. couple of weeks, which will be great, yeah. which means I'm leaving the dread of the freelance world, which I've been in the last <laughs> two years, yeah. um, because it is painful, I yeah. have to admit. No, I know. Um, with, I know a lot of people trying to enter that space, and it's not fun. It will be but- nice to have someone who knows what they're doing <laughs> with broadcast media in Mist Apex. It'd be great. Well, that would be well, that would, well. Who's I'm still finding that person. So if you find somebody, let me know. Tell us um, where to click on things where we can see you say stuff. Yeah. So Instagram, Twitter, that's the best place to follow me for motorsport wise, social wise. Uh, at Johnny S eight J O N N Y E S S eight. Don't bring it up. You've said yeah. it for two years now. Just Don't him. say what you want to say. I know what you want to say. All your tags are rubbish. That's it. That's all I'm <laughs> going to say. But go and follow him in the show notes below. That's nearing the end of our Mexican Grand Prix race review. It's the podium. And what a podium it is. Hats off to those people on the other side of the sea because the Mexicans and the Americans, they seem to know how to have a party, how to have an event. I absolutely love, I love the EJs. I love the skeleton guy walking around and boo humbug to anybody who poo-poos it. I like the car coming up through a podium. I like fireworks. I like people celebrating and enjoying it. You know, what a show. Uh, You may as well enjoy that because the track isn't changing. The altitude thing isn't changing. Is there a way to make a country lower? No, no. I'm hearing from my producer on my ear. There is not a way to simply make Mexico lower. Uh, There's definitely some room for track layout. Maybe they could change that inner go-kart circuit bit and make it a nice V with a braking zone or maybe curve it out into a nice hairpin in that kind of turn five, six complex. Maybe there's things they can do, but I don't see the Mexican Grand Prix going anywhere. Uh, Manage expectations. Enjoy the festival. Relax. Turn the volume up. Enjoy watching the race cars go round. But this is the part of the show where we give out some awards. And we start off nice and positive. Trigger warning, the second one isn't positive. We get all mean, call people turnips and all sorts. But the first one is the Good Thing Award. So this is where we ask our panel, what, what, who or when was your thing of the weekend? Let's go to... Stuffy, Stuffy, what did it for you? What flicked your wick? What flicked my wick was the Sky F, <laughs> the Sky F one soundtrack in the Mariachi Band. Yeah, I need that thing on my playlist. Yeah, how I, that probably got me hyped for the race. <laughs> the highest, the race let me down, but that got me hyped before every single session this weekend. And uh, yeah, I wish I could say something positive about the racing, but that oh. Yeah. Keep it, keep it, Sky. I keep think, it. I think they do that. I think they've done that every year. I don't think that is new to this year, but I think they did it at a slightly different point. And people were going mad, going, "What? No mariachi theme?" It was, it was brilliant. Mm. I love Mexico anyway. I've been holidayed uh, a few times. Um, yeah, so not rubbing. It's just a lovely country. Go check it out. Cancun's a lovely place. Um, and yeah, I, I, the mariachi band is is a staple anyway. Sounds like you're giving it, your it, thing of the weekend to Mexico. If I'm honest, stuffy, and I'm down with that. All yeah, right, Mexicans, lovely people, and a lovely place. Yeah, and right, what you should do, what Jono should do, is Jono, you could get someone from Mexico mm-hmm. to put a bit of bread on the ground, and then you and Australia also put a bit of bread on the ground, and you'll basically yeah. have an earth sandwich. Wait, wait, how does that make any sense? Well, because you have two bits of bread on opposite sides of the world, and it would be like <laughs> two bits of bread with the earth in between. 
Perth sandwich. I always, I, I always thought if you dug, uh, people always said if you dug underneath Australia, you'll end up in China. No, but I think that's just, wrong. Yeah, you'll just. Be I feel dead. like we'd end up in the UK. I feel like. Is yeah. That, so so UK would go all the way to New Zealand if you didn't <laughs> die a fiery death. But you and me could do yes. it. We could make an Earth sandwich after the show. But first, I think you should tell me what was your thing of the weekend. Well, it was going to be the uh, what uh, stuff he said, but I've got another one. And you know what? Uh, just because the other day somebody bumped into me and said, hey, it's good to have an Aussie on Miss Apex podcast. But they're oh. like, can you just be a bit more like show your Daniel Ricardo love? You don't show enough Daniel <laughs> yes. Ricardo love. So you know what? I'll finally do that today. <laughs> it was great to see him racing like the old Danny Rick. He said after he got the penalty, he just drove like he did not give a stuff anymore. It was great to see he gets my good thing of the weekend. I really thought you were going to say because Sonoda had it coming. Yeah, no. Anyway, okay. <laughs> Matt Two Rumpets at MattPT55 on Twitter or Matt Trumpets on Facebook and Instagram. Links in that show notes below. Dude, who was your thing of the weekend? Well, now it's getting challenging because I was going to go with the soft tires on Ricardo. I'm tempted to go with Fermin, who made a special visit to F1 TV. But you know what I'm going to go with, even though we didn't really talk about it too much? Tell me. I'm going to go with Max Verstappen. He won his 14th race, record-breaking, and he did it in exactly the uber-dominant style that has come to terrify anyone who's lived through Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton in the last decade and a half. There's definitely a fear factor, and I think... A lot of what we were talking about with Mercedes tactics, they were almost shadow boxing a threat that that didn't exist. Even if we say, well, the conditions went into Red Bull's favour, Mercedes weren't racing like they were when they were dominant. They're racing like Red Bull were. Uh, basically, Red Bull used to be the, the ones in the Mercedes dominance doing the different tyre strategy, forcing the understop, uh, the, the undercut, and they were good at it. Mercedes are having to learn to be the disruptors and having to work around them because there is a fear, you're absolutely right, that Max Verstappen and and Red Bull will have an answer for anything. Yeah, and, and let's be clear. I'm talking about not just Red Bull, but Max. I mean, the, the car was not shifting great. He was actually in that car not as fast as Perez through big chunks of the race because it wasn't working at 100%. And when he went on to those medium tires, his lap times were terrifyingly consistent 10 laps in a row with like maybe a 10th 10th and a half between them it was it was really astonishing to watch jonah uh, so back to the record just on that so because people always want to see the percentage they say oh you know there's like 400 f1 races a year now which is what it feels like honestly and and just before i get back to the record topic I am actually feeling fatigued this year watching Formula One. I don't know if it's the 11 p.m. and 4 a.m. races like every single weekend, but man, it's getting to me right now. So thank God there's two races to go. But back to the record, percentage-wise, he sits very well. He's at 70%, and the only people better than him are Michael Schumacher in 2004 and Alberto Ascari, who won six out of eight races in 1952. <laughs> okay. That's whatever. So if Verstappen wins these final two races, he will do better than Michael Schumacher in 2004. If he only wins one of the next two races, he will not do better. Either way, what a record-breaking season. Well done to him. Yeah, just lastly, quickly on that point, people always say it's the car just like it was in previous years with Hamilton. But do you know what? This is 
when you see the best drivers get the best out of their machinery. That's when we see dominant performances like this. And Max this year has been much more mature than he was last year. He's driven like a world champion and he thoroughly deserves that record. For the good of the general F1 fan, hopefully we get closer competition this year, but you have to marvel at the whole package as a whole. You put a car like that in someone like Max Verstappen's hands, it's, all right, all right, all right, all right. So all just right. a little bit of Max love in there, so that it's not all British bias. Yeah, yeah. I and I'll, 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 I'll light up the YouTube right. comments. Okay, so I'm going to put <laughs> uh, look, look. I'm going to pour some water on it, uh, and then I'm going to also put some extra coals on the fire as well. Because l- let's be honest, this is a dominant season for for Red Bull. You could put an awful lot of drivers in that car with a number two teammate, and and they would win. But before you stop typing, stop typing. I said but, but. To put yourself in that position that Max Verstappen has put himself in, and I'm sure he takes a lot of the credit for the development of the car, as the best drivers do, that takes something. And also, 2021, that is a season where you put 80% of the grid in that car in 2021, and they're probably not even challenging Mercedes. Mercedes might run away with 2021. And I believe it's the same in 2017, 2018. Put most of the grid in that Mercedes, and Sebastian Vettel wins those two championships. So that's where your driver can make a difference. I say, don't judge it over this one dominant season. Judge his journey with Red Bull. And I'm, I'm sure if you speak to Red Bull engineers, they will give Max a, a, a chunk of credit for the direction and development of that car as well. I want to give my thing of the weekend. I'm going to give it to Valtteri Bottas. Even though it sort of didn't go well, there's this emerging trend that if you just remove all the grip, he'd be a really good F1 driver. So I think we're showing an anti-finish bias in Formula One by by having too much grip. If we just had the odd race, we've got street circuits, why not have the odd ice track? And then I think you'd see Bottas going and having his kind of specialist weekends. Although it could descend to the level where on the ice tracks they, they bring in ringers. So they bring in like Finnish drivers specialist drivers oh suddenly Leclerc's got a bad back and Raikkonen is going to come in for for that event all right here's the bit where we are a little bit less nice it's the missed apex award oh no you missed the apex who missed the apex for you stubby Christian Horner uh, we, oh no here we go we could go on and on and on but <laughs> I tried. Yeah, we haven't been talking about it as well. Stuffy's been the ruiner here. Go on. I'm sorry. Go I'm on, sorry. I, the the press conference was laughable oh. after the. Regardless of what you think, penalties wise, they broke the cost cap, and some of the excuses he came out with was ridiculous. He got asked, "Do you owe your team, <laughs> fellow competitors, an apology?" And the fans, "No, they owe me an apology." And the thing that made me laugh the most was, I know he's arrogant anyway, but other teams (laughs) did dummy runs in 2020 to prepare for this. Red Bull, he openly said, no, we didn't do one. Uh, We just submitted our intermittent um, submissions in uh, our accounts in April. We got no comments back, so we thought we was fine. Turns out he wasn't, buddy, and I'd be very worried about 2022 (laughs) as well. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, well, we've done pretty well avoiding that topic. Obviously, I haven't on Twitter. If you follow my Twitter, I've been talking about it quite a lot. Um, yeah, they they miscalculated by their own by their own calculations. They overspent or were found to have spent more than they thought they did in thirteen different areas. So they were either pushing their luck 
massively and got caught out in those 13 areas. Because if they only got caught out in 13 areas, then they were probably pushing it to the limit in all the areas. Uh, and they were found to have come over it. But uh, but the, the mitigations stated by the FIA means that they are getting a relatively small penalty i think we'll maybe we'll cover that in a bit more detail in the mailbag show on sunday no Jono wants to come in well before we cover it though i mean isn't f1 all about sustainability the amount of gaslighting in that press conference was insane (laughs) and that was just absolutely ridiculous you know what i mean we have to be careful we're treading on hot water here with with everything he's saying okay good well i'll tell you i'll tell you now i'm not on sunday's show because i'm away so there'll be a guest host and that will be for for them to deal with fantastic matt two rumpets who missed the apex for you? Well, since we're talking about the cost cap a little oh tiny my God, bit. why? Oh, here we go. <laughs> and I, I would go with Red Bull and I would go the 13 procedural breaches, except for they weren't the only team that made that many categorical errors. Our friends at Aston Martin, who have shown a disturbing propensity for following the Red Bull leader, (laughs) missed 12 categories in their procedural breach. Okay. Who's the mistake for, Matt? (laughs) It's got to be for Aston Martin, but not for that. I just wanted to mention that. Uh, Just because, wow, did they ever give their drivers an undrivable car? I mean, between listening to Stroll's radio the first half of the race and watching what happened to Vettel once they put him on his second set of tires... I don't know what went wrong there, but it went very, very, very wrong, especially looking last week at the race <laughs> okay. in the United States. Well, I'll go before before Jono. Did I give, um, for my thing of the weekend, did I give Ted Kravitz the award for accurate pit lane Ooh. reporting on Sky? Did I do that? <laughs> oh, no, I didn't. Well, in that case, I'm going to give him my missed Apex award goes to Ted Kravitz for managing to get Sky banned from interviewing Max Verstappen and any of the Red Bull team. And apparently this embargo is going to go on, quote, indefinitely. And that was in response to his uh, notebook, Ted's notebook, which I think is very, very good. I think he's a a generational talent and he's made that space his own, where he claimed, I I agree with it. He said Lewis Hamilton was was robbed of the 2021 uh, Drivers' Championship in context about talking about a potential F1 film movie plot. Which would all be fine, but he did say it about 17 times in about eight minutes. And that might be what irked Verstappen and Red Bull. Are you telling us we're not going to hear Christian Horner on the pit wall anymore? Ah, oh, what a shame. Indefinitely. Indefinitely. And let's, uh, let's end with Jonathan Simon. Jonathan well, Simon. D- before that, they can't. Red Bull, yeah. it's a temporary statement. But if you let go of Sky Sports, Germany, Italy, F1, or Britain Italy. and all that, you lose so much viewership <laughs> and everything to your team. So it's only going to be for like one or two rounds. They'll be back. Fair My enough. bad thing of the weekend. Now, I don't know if this is a conspiracy or if it's an internet hoax or I don't know what's going on here. But apparently, Lewis Hamilton's forehead was fine after the national anthem was finished. Uh, the Mexican national anthem. After the race, he had a huge scar on the, I think it was the right side. Now, I don't know if my camera's mirrored now because this is my right side. Anyway, um, but he's got a huge scar. I can't tell at the moment, Spanish. I'm so confused. Mm. I won't look at myself. But if you look at him and there's pictures going around on the internet, there's a scar there and apparently a cameraman or a camera person, whoever it was, a camera person was strolling around the grid and might have accidentally hit him really, really hard with a camera 
and it's caused a huge scar. He's finished oh, the whole no. race and it could have, you know, done some stuff. Anyway, that's not, uh, that's my bad thing of the weekend is, is if that's true, God, that's like, imagine mm. being the camera person who hits Lewis Hamilton with a camera. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, it's happened before. I'm thinking, is it? Uh, Montoya was it Montoya that got hit oh, yeah. with a cameraman and absolutely went mad at him go and search Juan Pablo Montoya cameraman and he absolutely kicks off at this cameraman I'm assuming Lewis didn't do that that doesn't seem to be in his nature Matt did you have a last point on that uh, no I'm oh. just enjoying the uh, large number of conditionals on this particular <laughs> bad thing of the weekend stuffy I just wanted to add to that I think I don't know if it's got any correlation or not but another probably bad thing is that there's been reports of a considerable amount of people more so than ever in the paddock this week some of the drivers some of the clips i've seen online of carlos signs going for a jog and being hounded by fans and and max verstappen as well it seems like it got a little bit out of control and i don't know maybe the grid was too full and Mm. that's why lewis bumped into him there i don't know but yeah, they really need to tie down on security um, moving forward. And that just adds to some previous poor fan experiences we've had at tracks this year as well. So not great. And that about wraps up our Mexican Grand Prix race review here at Missed Apex Podcast. Thanks for keeping us company late into the night if you watched it live. And if you're watching it on a recording or on your podcast feed, uh, just do us a favor. Send your friends over to MissedApex.net. Simple as that mistapex.net and they'll be one click away from either watching or listening to Mist Apex podcast. We don't have a fancy advertising budget. You are our greatest weapon in letting people know that this is a fun place to hang out. Uh, money, money's also useful. Patreon.com forward slash Apex or click on the tip jar link in the show notes below. And please, uh, even if you're not massively into Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, check out the social media links and, and give us a follow. It, it is an amazing boost for us to grow our social media fo- media followings. And it means that we can advertise to you when we're going live, the extra things we're doing. Go and check out our iRacing tournament that we did last night. There was some brilliant action. If you want to see me sad because I got punted out of a potentially race-winning uh, position in much the same way that Sonoda got taken out by Ricardo today, uh, then go and check out Race 2. We'll put those links in the show notes below as well. And our karting video is out as well. So go and look on our social media and we'll show you where all our karting video is. Um, and at least you can save a link uh, to keep you entertained when F1 is on a two-week break and even when it wraps up over winter. Go and follow my panel, St- Scott Tuffy, Stuffy. Go and follow Jonathan Simon. Go and follow Matt two rumpets and most importantly follow me at spanners ready on twitter i'm the best one and we will be here spannerless on sunday for a mailbag show get your questions into feedback at mistapex.net feedback at mistapex.net with the subject line mailbag and I, i might have some fancy magazine show segments coming up for you before the brazilian grand prix possibly my favorite Grand Prix on the calendar. But until we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.